0: It's Beth and Jeff McCord, and this is your Enneagram Coach, the podcast, where we're here to help you to understand yourself with astonishing clarity so that you can break free from self-condemnation, fear, and shame by knowing and experiencing the unconditional love, forgiveness, and freedom in Christ.
1: Well, we're back with another fun uh, Q&A episode for you. We love getting your questions and hearing about how you're using the Enneagram in your daily lives. And so we've got another few questions. If you're interested in submitting a question, be sure to email us at info at your or you'll see a link in the show notes and you can pass those along and maybe we'll pick yours uh, for one of our future episodes. Uh, number one from Rebecca, how can the Enneagram help us to reach out to people who are grieving? Hmm. Oh, that's really good. Good question. Um, because one, Hopefully, you're starting to see the benefit of the Enneagram. The Enneagram gives you insight into people. Mm -hmm. Now, here's also the liability of the Enneagram is that if we know their number, then we know how they should react when we serve them in particular ways. Mm -hmm. We don't want to make assumptions just because they've identified with a particular number but the enneagram is helpful as it relates to the kinds of questions that we can ask. So one of the thir- well the three questions for attuning to people and relationships. Number 1, do you see me? Number 2, do you hear me? And number 3, can you help me? Now, as it relates to a person who's grieving is one don't presume that they should be responding in a particular way, that they should be angry, that they should be sad, but they will process it uniquely. Some may process it more in their mind, some with emotion, some with gut. And that may be related to their Enneagram style. Also, secondly, asking questions about what this person whom they have lost, what what they meant to them because my relationship that my mom died in 2000, my relationship with my mother was radically different than what Beth's relationship was to her mother. So the Enneagram gives you the insight to be able to ask, who was this person to you? What? How did their presence impact your life? And what does it mean now that you've lost them? And then the last thing is, how can I help? It's not inserting your presence, but it's asking them, what, what is it that you need right now? Without judgment, without recommendation, without uh, advice giving, simply asking and availing yourself if they want your assistance, if they want your help, great. If not, then fine. Then simply tell them you love them and then let them do whatever they deem is best for their own care.
0: And I think it's really important to recognize your own, uh, what you would think your own grieving style is. Because you're going to expect them to grieve the way you grieve, and you're going to expect them to want what you would want, which might be the complete opposite. And so then when you you give them the help that you would have wanted, and it doesn't land on them right, you're going to be hurt, frustrated, um, unsure. You know, There's lots of things that can happen. And that's where I totally agree, Jeff, with what you're saying is, you know, ask curious questions, let them know your heart, but also understand that each person really does grieve differently.
1: And and that's how Beth and I relate to each other uh, when we're at our best. It's not, oh, you're just doing a nine thing or Jeff, you're just being a six. Uh, that's not what happens. Um, at our best, what happens is, although we have that in the back of our mind, we're more asking questions about self-disclosure What is it that you'd like to share with me? I see you doing these things. Is there something going on or what are you feeling inside? And usually it's enough of an invitation to connect with one another.
0: Great. Good question. All right. So Mary asks the question, can your Enneagram type change? I tested a different type many years ago, although my old type still came up high in my most recent test. What could be the reasons for this? Oh, that's a great question. That happens all the time. And to really get into it, well, I do that in my courses. <laughs> but in a short Q&A, I'll kind of try to summarize it um, just a little bit. First, we use all nine types to varying degrees. Um, so they're all kind of inside us, but we have one type that reigns supreme. Now, I believe that we are born with our type. It's almost like a lens, you know, that, that we have a lens that we're wearing throughout life. We see life and react to life in a very specific way. And as we're growing up, we're still absorbing and taking on information from all the people in our life. We're learning what life is like. And then as we get older, our personality really kind of steps up and steps in to the main role. And we see it and we feel it and other people see it and feel it. But here's the cool thing. It's not that your main type itself changes, but you as a whole change. And there's a lot of reasons and a lot of layers with the Enneagram that explain these changes. A couple of examples would be we have two wings. So I'm a nine and the wings are the numbers on either side of your main type. So I have an eight wing and I have a one wing. We use both our wings, again, to varying degrees. It's a spectrum. We use them both in healthy ways and less healthy ways. Sometimes we use them a lot and sometimes we use them very little. But what I do know is that when I am at my best, my eight wing is going to show up in a very specific way that helps me. Think of it as like salt and pepper. It's going to draw out the best, the flavor of who I am. Same with a one when I'm using my one wing, the attributes of a one in a very healthy way. But if I'm not healthy, I'm going to bring out some, or the eight will will come and bring out some of the not so healthy characteristics in me and using their characteristics as well. And same with the one. And so it can look like who is this? She's a little different, whether positive or negative, but we're also connected to two lines when you look at the symbol. My type is a nine is connected to six and three. And again, we use. These two numbers and both healthy all the way to unhealthy patterns, depending on how we're doing. And that can also flavor or change how we might appear or how we might react. But let me be clear, your core type, your main type, you have your core motivations that stay true all the time. All of these parts of us are aiming for the same core motivations ultimately as your main type. they also have their own desires and wants they're pulling from, but really it's your core types, main motivations that uh, run the show. So as you're growing or as you're struggling, this is why the Enneagram is so fantastic is because it's letting you know very clearly how you're doing. Think of it like an x-ray. It's letting you know what's not broken and what's doing great, but what is broken. But an x-ray can't heal you. It brings clarity but that's where the gospel comes in. So we have the clarity. Hey, we're struggling. Well, what do we need? Well, we need the gospel truth in a very specific way. And so, yes, come learn more about the Enneagram, your We have uh, different resources and courses, blog posts that will take you a step further in understanding these different layers. And there's actually a lot more, but that's about as far as we can go in this Q&A session
1: our next question is from Rachel, and this is a question about marriage. She asks how to thrive in marriage when I'm a five and my husband is a two? And just to say, Rachel, that is a very, very, very common couple type. Uh, she goes further to say, I, I fear that I won't be capable of meeting his needs or desires for intimacy, and he fears he won't be loved the way that he wants to be loved and needs to be. We've come a long way in our growth, grace, and understanding of one another. However, as we're new to the Enneagram and learning more about ourselves and each other, I can't tell you how discouraging was to hear many comments about how difficult a combination of two and five are, but not much practical help for committed merit to five marriage. Thank you for your consideration in addressing this on your podcast. Well, Rachel, um, here here's the good news, the good news. Um, there's no wrong Enneagram couple type, and we've seen them all. As a matter of fact, it was really interesting whenever we would uh, we were creating our Becoming Us online course, which is there's 45 unique courses for every couple type uh, around the topics of core motivation, spirituality, family of origin, communication, conflict, and becoming your best self together. Now, Beth and I were record these different courses and we had different video editors helping to put them all together. And there were times that they would come back to us like, I don't know how this couple type works. This, this would be a nightmare. And we'd remind them, well, you know, our friends, that's their couple type. They're like, oh, they're awesome. And it's exactly true. Mm -hmm. A lot of times with the Enneagram, we focus on the liabilities and the hurdles that we're going to need to overcome versus seeing the strengths and the opportunities that you have. And a two-five couple type totally makes sense, but it does come with some liabilities. Mm -hmm. Uh, Beth, why don't you speak to what are some great things about the two-and-five couple?
0: Yeah. And I love what you said about the courses and our editors, because usually they would come to us as they're editing because we would In each of these modules, we would talk about the misaligned dance when they're not doing as well. And then we would go into the aligned dance, what it looks like when they're growing and how to grow. But they would usually come to us when they just listened to the misaligned dance and they could see like almost the the train wreck that was about to happen. Um, And so it was fun then for them to see. The aligned and go, oh yeah, this totally makes sense. Or or like you said, look at a couple and go, oh my gosh, they're amazing. And it's just so true. So a two and a five, wow, what a great combination. And like you said, it has its liabilities. So the, the five ultimately will feel that their needs are a problem. And so they want to minimize their needs and basically be autonomous and take care of their inner resources. They're They're really not looking or asking for help outside of themselves. Because to them, they think it's too big, too cumbersome to even ask someone else too much. So they'll do it themselves. But also they fear being overwhelmed, um, having obligations placed on them, and definitely their um, interactive battery life being depleted so much so that they almost feel like they're just going to have to shut down completely. So you enter in, a type two spouse, and their gift is to see all the needs and the feelings of another person. So even though a type five isn't asking for what they need, the two knows they have this amazing superpower of just knowing. And the two inserts their help, because to them, they need to help someone in order to hear that they are appreciated and loved and wanted and needed. Well, On one side for the type five, that's amazing. Because someone sees my need and is taking care of me, I didn't really have to ask for it, which feels really hard. At the same time, a two can insert their presence more and more and and really cross boundaries if the other person isn't showing the appreciation, the love, the gratitude that the two is looking for. So the more they insert their presence, the more they help, it feels overwhelming and stifling for the five who is just needing to get away and recharge. And so you can see how that dance can kind of go around and around. And so if we have common language, if we understand what's going on in the core, we can have the conversation with one another, the five could let their spouse know how grateful they are for the type to, to see their needs and to affirm that, but also let them know, Hey, I'm so glad that you are able to help me, but I also need quite a bit of time alone to process my thoughts and feelings. And I know that can land on you like it's rejection, but it's really, I'm needing a certain amount of time to recharge, to then move towards you so that my tank is filled up so that I can actually be with you even more.
1: You know, one of the great phrases that I remember from seminary, studying under Dr. Jan Zink at Covenant Theological Seminary, uh, he was our counseling professor, but he, he gave me this line, I thought it was fantastic. Your problem's not your problem. Your problem is your perspective on the problem. And one of the ways that the Enneagram can help. Uh, the two of you have better conversations around physical intimacy is to ask each other what that, what, what does it mean for us to be physically intimate? What needs are being met in that moment that's different from other interactions that we have throughout the day as spouses? So as I read your question, Rachel, one of the things that I pick up on is you bring a five- energy to asking the question am i enough now that's a big question to be asking because in in a certain sense a 2 is asking the same question where it could be that their sense of love and value is demonstrated by wanting to be physically intimate well as a 5 that may you may experience that as burdensome that may be scary for you and wondering how much You know, is this just this endless need that I am not going to be able to uh, fulfill for the sake of my spouse?" Rather than seeing it perhaps just through the lens of the two of needing affirmation, needing attention and attunement that culminates in physical intimacy. So just keep in mind that it's not just your types, but how you approach the situation, your motives, and the lens through which you interpret it also is related to your type.
0: And we would invite you guys to check out the course Becoming Us at becomingus.com. But just to start out, we have a free assessment at becomingus.com where we actually give you a lot of information on your couple type combination when you take that free assessment. So you can start there and start working with that material. And then if you want to move forward with the course, that's when we really help you to see why you derail, but also the path of growth.
1: Well, this last question for this particular episode comes from Tracy, who is a type six. She says, I love the episodes 27 and 28, Navigating Anxious Times, and how you touched on each types, how they deal with stress. I'm a type six and would really appreciate you elaborating on that, since our world is under an extreme amount of stress currently and for the foreseeable future. And so Beth has delegated this to me because, for some reason, um, I guess I know all things about well, okay. Sexiness. Before you
0: before you chime in,
1: she missed it. Yeah, uh, our no, friend or maybe, s- um, or maybe I'm sixiness.
0: or maybe I'm just passing. It oh, over. she's
1: ignoring me. I get it. Okay, got it.
0: Um. But I, but before you go with the sixiness, um, you know, I think it's important for all of us to realize that navigating anxious times, it's not just a sex thing. Though, thank you, Tracy, for bringing this question up, especially from the perspective you are coming. But yeah, all nine types are going to be anxious and they're going to be anxious for their own reasons. And how we navigate those anxious times is very different. So if you guys are interested, I would highly recommend you going and looking at um, how each type handles the pandemic. We have it on our YouTube channel and it really kind of shows our pattern of looking at things. Because like for me as a nine, my first, you know, approach is, it's going to be fine. No problem. Let's just kind of coast through. And then reality starts to set in. And then I move down into my six, you know, attributes of stress.
1: She's not very good at being a six.
0: (laughs) And I start freaking out.
1: She can't handle the stress of a <laughs> And
0: I think of all the worst case scenarios and then all of this anxiety comes out towards everyone else. And and then I'm exhausted and I shut down and I just like when I like pull the covers over my head and just numb out to the world or, or uh, let's say binge watch on Netflix. And then the cycle starts all over again. Um, so each of us are going to experience anxious times differently. But I will hand it over to you, Jeff, to highlight more of the six. (laughs) Um,
1: Well, this is something that uh, I have wrestled with in a very significant way personally uh, over this past year in ways that I've, although there have been acute seasons of stress for me, this one uh, definitely was a a top three experience and continues to be. But here are just a few things that uh, a few resources that have been really helpful for me. So one of the my practices of self-care is that I attend a recovery meeting called Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families. Now, neither of my parents were alcoholics, although there I believe there may have been some Uh, addiction in the family. Um, but there definitely was some hardships. And so I carry some of the attributes of living in a dysfunctional home, um, that I've wanted to address. Well, one of the statements that's really been helpful to me is that they have this statement in the problem that says that we are addicted to excitement and bring excitement to all of our affairs. And that's, it's an interesting statement. Um, And what they mean by excitement is that we bring drama, we bring emotion, we bring intensity, we bring an anxiety to all of our relationships and all of our affairs. And so I have to be mindful that I am looking for opportunities, knowingly or unknowingly, to increase my anxiety and concern. So it's very interesting in my work life that if some if I find a problem and then one of the team members is addressing the problem, I'll look for another problem. Well, and so what that's meant for me, if I recognize and yield to the reality that I'm going to find a reason for my anxiety or worst case scenario thinking, then I need to cultivate a rhythm of life where I don't activate that part of me. And so what I've chosen to do is, particularly as my morning starts off, there's no news, no social media, nothing, except for my own reading, um, my spiritual reading, my recovery meeting, my professional reading. And so I start the morning very quiet versus revving my heart up really quick.
0: Side note, we're empty nesters now. (laughs) (laughs) I <laughs> just want to give everyone a heads sure. up. Very different when we had little munchkins running around and you're just trying to get breakfast on the table and the kids out the door. But I, I think trying to set that, that time aside as early as you can for as long as you can is great.
1: Yes. And then number two, I, I try not to hitch my wagon um, to the wrong voice. There are so many different voices out there, and some of them are more helpful than others. And so not necessarily choosing people whom I agree with or disagree with, that's not the purpose of it. I'm looking for sober-minded, reasonable people who aren't going to contribute to what is already an anxious interior world. And so I'm looking for someone who has a particular presence or style about them that I find that's helpful so that I don't get wound up. And then the last thing is this. And If my kids were to hear this, they would laugh at me. <laughs> I remember asking Dr. Dan Allender once, so if, you know, in dealing with the aftermath of trauma and perhaps you don't have the resources to see a therapist and uh, have all the different uh, interventions that um, trauma-informed therapists can provide. And he said this, number one, go on long, slow walks. And particularly for a six, what I find is that when I walk and I start to experience breathing, or I start to experience sensations in my calves or my thighs, it gets me out of my head. And so that's something that you can do with other people, it just in a way to kind of help your body to move from being in your mind and all the um, flywheel thoughts to help you to get into your body, um, it's going to be a helpful experience in diminishing some of the anxiety.
0: Well, thanks for joining us today as we've jumped into another Q&A session for you guys to hear some of our answers to your questions. And if you have questions that you'd like us to answer, then email us at info at your Enneagramcoach.com and yours might land on the podcast.
1: And as always, remember, the Enneagram reveals our need for Jesus, not our need to work harder. It's the gospel that transforms us.